Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Das Intellectual Kapital. Ron, how are you doing? I'm great, Ed. That's such an annoying title. No, it's a great title. I insisted on the title. You didn't like the title. I insisted on it. But it is the show is a bit as as I've been prepping here today and and occasionally throughout the week. Um, I remember the Cheshire Cat, Ron. Yes. Right. Okay. And you know the Cheshire Cat's claim was was from Alice in Wonderland, a character yeah. a character in Alice in Wonderland, and the and the the line about the Cheshire Cat was you've you you may have seen a cat without a smile, but have you ever seen a smile without a cat? Yeah. Right. And the cat the cat would disappear, and all you would see is the smile that was remaining from the cat. Right. And this was well played up in the Disney animated film, you know, of Alice in Wonderland, with where you would just see the the smile of the Cheshire Cat. But I kind of feel, in a way, that this this show is sort of like the Cheshire Show, right? It's 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 a you you've seen probably a show without a title, but have you ever seen a title without a show? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> because because we could go almost anywhere with this and that said there are so many cool things to talk about under this arena and let me let me back up and talk about why I think this is a cool title first of off off your book mind over matter in my opinion is your best book wow now uh, that's not the opinion of most people I think <laughs> In fact, I'm probably going to go out on a limb here and say most people couldn't get through it. I'm just going to yep. just going to say. I think that's right? safe to say. Right, and I think you know your your brother had a was that the one that he thought killed the guy or was it a different one? But no, that was Firm of the Future. <laughs> oh, Firm of the Future. Well, quick to quick tell. Well, no, no, we'll get back. We'll get back to that another time. But anyway, it's it's your thickest book. It's the it's the it's the book that I think has a problem. Well, maybe Professionals Guide to Value Pricing overall had more words than some of the original versions. But of the more more later tomes, it's definitely the longest. But I en- I enjoyed it the most mostly because it's it's. It's extraordinarily thought-provoking and, in a way, has become the inspiration for the, the, this entire show, right? This whole notion of business and the knowledge economy and, and what that really means. And as I recall, when you were throwing titles around for that, 
Paul O'Byrne, our late colleague in the UK at Verisage, one, suggested that you title that book Das Intellectual Kapital. Is that right? He did. He did. Uh, I, we tossed around titles like human capitalism, right? And things like that. And um, the series, uh, there's three books in this series, and it was called Intellectual Capital Series. And he also wanted to call that Das Intellectual Capital Series. <laughs> <laughs> the publisher rejected all of that and called it mind, Stuck with Mind Over Matter. But uh, it, what's interesting, Ed, is it's, it was the, by far the, the hardest book for me to write. It was the most complicated because it was the most challenging material. Because like you said, there's a million ways to go here. You know, mm-hmm. how, how do we know what we know? And, and what is knowledge? I mean, you can, you can go down those rabbit holes really, really fast. Um, you know, and Karl Marx himself, if you go to his tomb at Highgate Cemetery, which I think we talked about, they charge for now, which is, I think, but the ultimate. This is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate in capitalism. Uh, but on the tomb, it says, the philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it. Well, my point with this book was not to change the world, but to understand it. Mm-hmm. Where does wealth come from, right? And you you come down to the idea that that you know wealth comes from knowledge, and then when you start studying that, you, that kind of takes you into intellectual capital because you realize that there's there's different types of knowledge. There, there's the stuff that we have in our heads, the human capital, but there's mm-hmm. also the structural capital. That is housed in like organizations. And then there's social or sometimes called relationship capital, um, you know, that, that, that we have as well. And this is a fascinating topic because then you start talking about that and you realize, well, you know what? There's also negative intellectual capital Mm -hmm. because some of the things we know are are bad or Mm -hmm. or obsolete. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and and therefore have a negative a negative drain on wealth creation, right? Absolutely, and are 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 harmful of that. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a it's a fascinating topic. Just just that you know, how do we know what we know, right? Is is and that that has confounded philosophers for years and years, and it it is uh, a a great. Um, a great challenge for us to even conceive conceive of that, and and then then now it's even gotten into brain science and stuff, which we are is well beyond the capacity of this this show for sure. <laughs> yes, right? and I and I don't want to talk about if if uh, do, do I perceive the color red the same way you perceive the color red? How do we know it's red? Right, 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 <laughs> I mean, right. We just to... agree that it's red. We yeah. agree that it's red. <laughs> well, right, that is the same color, however we perceive it. You know, three academics wrote a review of this book, Mind Over Matter, and they, it was published in some, you know, obscure accounting journal or something. And and they kind of, they said complimentary things about it, kind of like you just did. But they also said, but Baker rambles and this could deserve a good edit. You know, he, he reprinted a whole speech from Ronald Reagan, which was the Moscow University speech, which is where we get our opening. But they said, and plus, he doesn't even define intellectual capital until 107 pages in. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to make that mistake on this show. So here's okay. the definition of intellectual right. capital. The way, in, in, in the context that we're using it for business purposes. Correct, okay? correct, correct, yep. Knowledge that can be converted into profits. So simple, elegant, Ron. Knowledge yeah. that can be converted into profits. into profits. That's the context that we're putting. Now, we're going to expand on that. And we're going to have other things to say around it. 
but that's that's what intellectual capital is. And Ed, what's fascinating is the three types of intellectual capital, and a lot of people confuse this with intellectual property. People yes, will say yes, yes. your IP, right? And that's brands and trademarks and things like that. But that's not what we're talking about. It, now, IP is a part of IC, but IC, intellectual capital, is much broader. So, again, it's human capital, structural capital, and social capital. Mm-hmm. The fascinating thing about those three is only one can be owned by the organization, which is the structural capital. That's the stuff that stays after the people have left the building, <laughs> right. right, gone home for the night. And now human capital, according to the World Bank, is 80% of the world's wealth, the developed world, the, the G20 mm-hmm. countries, if you will. Right. Uh, that, 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 I mean, if you just that statistic alone, even though I know there's issues with measuring this, mm-hmm. um, that's mind boggling to me. Because mm-hmm. that means any knowledge organization out there, and I know most of our listeners probably in knowledge organizations, that means 80% of their capacity to create wealth resides in their human capital. I.e. their people. And go, go through the, first of all, let's talk, the, the intellectual capital, but then we also need to talk about the, the kaput, right? It, 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 it actually means head, head. right? The, the word capital comes from a Latin word that means head. Right. Kaput. Yeah. Isn't that Kaput. interesting? Mm-hmm. And it so it's it that's that's the derivation of it. And it's 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 funny how we've come kind of full circle on that because it was really intended originally as head of cattle, wasn't it? Right? Yes, that's right. So it was like how many head of how many animals do you have? Right? Now yep. it turns out <laughs> that it's no no no, it's not how many heads of animals, it's how many no how many heads do you actually have, meaning people, right? Their brains. Right. And, uh, you know, I think there's so many profound implications of this. W- one of them I often talk about, and I think I first heard this from you, but it's a it's a Peter Drucker quote that says in the knowledge economy, the most probable assumption for an organization to make is that they need the knowledge workers far more than the knowledge workers need them. Right. Now, right. that. That that implication is huge. I mean, I'm just going to parse that out for a second. That you know, that means that organizations that primarily deal in intellectual capital, in knowledge, in knowledge that that can be created, that that, that can be created, uh, we, where we can create wealth from it, right? That their assumption, their base assumption, has to be that when we add people, we're also adding wealth and capacity for wealth. And that we need those people. And rather than think, well, well, they're just lucky to have a job. <laughs> right? Which yep. is still the mantra. Yep. Right? That no, we have to, what we have to do is we have to figure out how do we keep them happy and satisfied inside the organization so that they can, as intellectual capital, knowledge, investors in the firm get a dividend. So not only a salary which is clearly one component. And that if I could quibble with your, your um, what you were talking about before with the three forms of capital, I would also add that financial capital is another form. Sure. Right. Sure. And that, you know, we, so you are getting, you are getting a salary, which is financial capital, but you're, and you're also getting some of these social capital things, you know, the, the stuff that's your, your benefits and you're working with different team members, but you also should be looking at getting a, a knowledge benefit, uh, a, a knowledge dividend might be better stated. How, 
what what are you getting from your position, from your job that increases your knowledge? What are you learning? And that's why that becomes such an important component for knowledge workers is how do we how do we increase their ability to learn? Absolutely. And, you know, Ed, we're in kind of new territory with all of this. I mean, Drucker coined the term knowledge worker and knowledge economy, by the way, back in 1961. He expanded on it in a book that he wrote in 1968 called The Age of Discontinuity. And these were the first times these terms were introduced. And then, of course, he tried to flesh out what, what it means, you know, what makes a knowledge worker different than a service or an industrial worker. The term human capital was first used by an economist by the name of Theodore Schultz. He won a Nobel Prize for this. So we're talking about something that's really only, you know, 50, 60 years old. And yet, I think one of the issues that we have in the knowledge economy is most organizations are still structured and indeed use management philosophies and tools and processes that were designed for an industrial era. And, and that's one of the big challenges, I think. Well, well, exactly. And they not only designed an industrial era, but but come we come back to this this cycle when we've talked about this unlimited number of times. This well, how do we measure it? How do we measure it? How do we measure it? When reality is, it's about knowledge, which in a way can't can't fully be measured, right? Can't can't fully measure somebody from it, from it, that perspective. It, it's really hard. I mean, it's like the dark matter of the universe. Physicists know it's out there, but it's. It's hard to measure. <laughs> it's the same way with knowledge. And by the way, the productivity of a knowledge worker, same same issue, very, very difficult to measure. We, there's more ignorance in this area than there is knowledge. So true. Well, all right, we're 15 minutes in, Ron, and we're also going to talk about why Karl Marx was right, but he was wrong. That's coming up in our in a future segment of this this show because Karl Marx did get some stuff right. But right now, we want to remind you that if you are a listener of The Soul of Enterprise and would like to contact Ron or me, you can email us at ask, A-S-K-T-S-O-E, at verisage.com. And we are happy to answer any questions that you have regarding the content that we have on the show. Also, please visit thesoulofenterprise.com, our website, where we post full show notes for our past shows, as well as an archive of all of our shows previously recorded. And then uh, we also do do previews of upcoming shows. So, But right now, we want to take a break and our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. 
The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about DOS Intellectual Capital. And uh, Ed, we mentioned that the World Bank, uh, and they actually did two studies on this, uh, and they determined that in the G20 countries, the developed world, 80% of the world's wealth resides in human capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we, we tweeted this out on the show at Ask TSOE, and Lowry, one of our listeners, said, while this is true at the moment, the megatrend is a move towards structured capital with the advent of artificial intelligence. Lowry, that's no doubt absolutely true, so I want to I want to take that idea and and explain it this way when we had george gilder on he talked about wealth equals knowledge and and that's no doubt true and then he talked about well wealth equals knowledge then where's growth come from in the economy and he talked about learning so i want to add to that syllogism Ed. i want to insert something in the middle okay okay (laughs) i want to say knowledge equals wealth that's that, that that's true wealth equals knowledge Entrepreneurialism is what equals learning because it's the leap of starting a business, launching an enterprise, offering a product or service to the market where you're going to learn. Now, Mm -hmm. you may succeed, you may fail, but that learning is going to create growth. So I, I think this is a really important point that Gilder makes. Learning can take place even if profits are falling. Correct. And that it, that is an absolutely critical point because it that that doesn't necessarily equate learning does uh, learning does uh, equal growth, but it in product in project management by the way uh, we call something that actually works a a um, a product result, mm-hmm. and when it doesn't when it doesn't work. Right, it's not called a failure. It's called an information result. That's that's our that's oh, interesting. That's our, that's that's interesting. our nice way to that's our yeah. nice way to talk about something that doesn't work. It's an information result. We did we got information. Sure, it's like a, the <laughs> software program. That's a feature, not a bug, right? <laughs> <laughs> Works as designed. So, but yes, the, the so that's an information result. So even if it doesn't work, we have we have an information result. And we can do something about it, right? We can take action, and that's what that's that, that's the importance of entrepreneurism, and why it's so critically important for countries, states, cities, uh, different places to have low barriers of entry for new businesses. You know, you look around, Ron, and one of the things that's becoming abundantly clear to me is that the the, the countries that have the highest barrier to entry to create a new business are the are still the countries that are poorest today. Right. Yep. The, the cities in the United States that are struggling with with uh, 
with 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 um, revenue, you know, city tax revenue and all of this stuff that are dying. Detroit being one of them. Uh, the, there's lots of them that are out there. You know what? They're, they're, try opening a business in any one of these cities. Yeah. Right. It, it's it cr- difficult, if not impossible, to do so. And you have to run through all kinds of red tape to make sure that your sign is not, you know, bigger than the code in the, in the local neighborhood. And, you know, and God forbid you put up a sign that has, you know, neon and there's all these all these regulations that are strictly enforced in, in certain areas. And that's what's blocking this entrepreneurship. Well, and, and yes, entrepreneurs fail on a regular basis more often than they succeed but you know what? That's okay because they learn something, and we learn something that that pay hey, that business didn't work, or at least it didn't work that way. And you got to do something else, right? And and I remember one wag said, and I forget who said this, but you know, the idea of capitalism without it's a profit and loss system, and the idea of capitalism without loss is like Catholicism without hell. I mean, it doesn't, yeah. it, it's got, it, and you know, this is Gilder's point. That's why we can't guarantee anything because Gilder That's says, right. look, if you guarantee anything, an auto company's survival, an airline survival, you're not learning. The nope. economy's not learning. And, and, and that's why he thinks capitalism is not an incentive system. It's an information system. And, and of course his information means wealth or, or I'm sorry, or I'm sorry, knowledge. Um, the the other thing that I think is really interesting about this Ed is is when you when you talk about this topic enough it gets right back to our beginning Reagan quote. Yep. You also realize there's no such thing as a natural resource except mm-hmm. the mind of man. But it's the mind of man in open markets with freedom. Mm-hmm. Because Mikhail Gorbachev said this. He said, we were among the last to understand that in the age of information science, the most valuable asset is knowledge springing from human imagination and creativity. Well, I would only add to that 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 can only spring from people who are free. That's right. And it's got it's, it's a ground up phenomenon. This is why you can't have planned economies. This is why you there's there's not enough possible even with IBM Watson and all the wonders that that's going to do. There's no possible way to keep all of the variables in in play at any one time to be able to determine what is and is not going to be a, a success until you experiment with it. It's it's just not possible because look there there are companies that are successful that confound me. Like I don't know how why, why, why do people want that? Like the pet rock as an example, sure. right? Why did why did they sell you know millions of dollars of pet rocks, chia pets? Why they, like nobody would come up with chia pet and said, oh, I think this is a big business opportunity, right? Because yeah. but that's name that's me. But there are other people that like that stuff. Yep. No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, and, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I, I'm you're going to kill me for this, but we're, and we're getting close. But but I I think it's important that we we give a little context to the Reagan quote. Since you brought it up, I was thinking about doing this, but since you brought it up, I I want to read a couple of of, of lines, of paragraphs, uh, or, or not really, but it's like one paragraph and a half that sure. that happened before and after are like a chrysalis quote. Yeah, it's yeah. it's incredible how prescient this is. Like today, oh, it's right? amazing. Remember that so, speech was written by Joshua Gilder, George's cousin. Okay, delivered May thirty first, nineteen eighty eight. So we're talking what almost forty uh, thirty years ago. Yeah, right, right. 
So as part of an exchange program, and I can't do a good Reagan, so I'm not even going to try. Um, we now have a, an exhibition touring the country that sh- that sh- touring your country, so in Russia, that shows how information technology is transforming our lives, replacing manual labor with robots, forecasting weather for farmers, or mapping the genetic code of DNA for medical researchers. This is 1988. These microcomputers today aid the design of everything from houses to cars to spacecraft. They even design better and faster computers. They can translate English into Russian or enable the blind to read or help Michael Jackson produce on one synthesizer the sounds of a whole orchestra. Uh, Linked by a network of satellites and fiber optic cables, one individual with a desktop computer and a telephone commands the resources unavailable to the the largest governments just a few years ago. Yep. And then comes our like a chrysalis quote, right, which uh, I won't go through, but he goes, think of that little computer chip. It isn't, uh, it isn't va- va- the, its value isn't the sand from which it is made, but the microscopic architecture designed into it by ingenious human minds. Yep. Yep. And that is the ultimate resource because we change physical resources all the time, you know, whale oil and the, whatever. And uh, it's really the imagination of people, which is why I'm kind of an optimist with respect to all this robotics and AI and deep learning, because I think we'll always find ways um, to serve one another. But I also am pretty confident that Watson's not going to be able to launch a business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, because until Watson, Watson doesn't know that he won Jeopardy either. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> but then just following up on your Drucker quote, which I love about the, you know, in the, in the future, obviously, the, the knowledge organization needs the knowledge worker more than the other way around. Mm-hmm. He also wrote this, um, and this was, I believe, originally in a Harvard Business Review article called Managing Knowledge means managing oneself in the year 2000, so five years before he died. Now, he spent the last part of his life really trying to figure out how do we increase the productivity, I think that was Drucker's word for effectiveness, of of knowledge workers. And here's what he said on this. He said, in a few hundred years, when the history of our time is written from a long-term perspective, it is likely that the most important event those historians will see is not technology, not the internet, not e-commerce. It is an unprecedented change in the human condition. For the first time, literally, substantial and rapidly growing numbers of people have choices. For the first time, they will have to manage themselves. And society is totally unprepared for it. Wow. Think about and, that and, for a minute. And, and, and in fact... There's lots of people who don't like the very, very fact that people want to be able to manage themselves, right? Uh, I was just uh, just watching a, a show today on on the the you know payday lenders, mm-hmm. right? And the, 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 of course, you know the the media, uh, the p- pundits scam against these people as 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 you know robbing these folks, the the the, the poor folks. Now, I have no doubt that there are some payday lenders that are are charging. Uh, usurious interest rates falsely and misleading some people, right? Not all, but some. But I also think that there's a, a, a tremendous number of va- tremendous amount of value in some of some of what these payday lenders are doing, right? And that they they are solving a problem that the banks refuse to solve. 
You know, for example, say some say some guy gets a check from from a, one of his customers, and he he's got to pay his guys usually in cash uh, the next day, right? Well, the yeah. only way for him to convert that is is through a payday loan, where they're going to take about one or two percent, right? Because yep. guess what? His bank, federally mandated, right, is going to p- play a four day float against him. Exactly. <laughs> I know. There's you know, and and look, it, it might make sense for me to to uh, take a big. Uh, percentage of my paycheck to get it cashed right away because I may have to pay my utility bill and if I don't it'll be shut off and that'll cost me a couple hundred bucks just to get it restored so mm-hmm. so the idea that we can make these blanket statements that these people are charging usury and it's just absurd and and by the way they're incredibly regulated and if they are doing you know illegal things well then that's a failure of regulation probably right no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I just want to make one more comment before we take the, our, our second break on this whole notion of knowledge workers and increasing their knowledge. You know, one of the things that, that I see as someone who's done some education, corporate education, where my, my classes in some cases are required, right, yep. is first of all, people complaining about coming to them, right, which kind of makes me a little bit crazy. But, but I, you know, I get it. I get, we'll, we'll, we'll get past that. The point I want to make, though, is that the number of people that I talk to who complain about having to get their people educated on certain things, whether they be products or, in my case, it's project management methodologies, right? The people that this is owners, leaders in organizations who complain and say, oh, this is really expensive. You know, what if I train them and they leave? Right. <laughs> yep. Right. I'm like, you moron, you don't get it. It's what if you don't educate them and they stay? <laughs> like, we have the dumbest people in the industry. We keep them stupid because they might leave. Because they might leave, which they might anyway, especially if you don't educate them. I know it's hilarious. Well, well, Ed, this is great. It's actually, it's flying by. And when, when we come back, uh, folks, I want to talk about why there might be less knowledge workers than even we think. Uh, which is pretty interesting. And in the meantime, we would like to remind you, if you want to get a hold of Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. Check out our uh, website at thesoulofenterprise.com. Go to our calendar tab. You can see where Ed and I are appearing live and maybe uh, come out and meet with us. And also, you can rate our show on iTunes, which we greatly appreciate. And we read those on the air as well, so we'd give you a shout-out. And now we want to hear from our sponsor. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here doing DOS Intellectual Capital. <laughs> and I, I do love that. I mean, that was really a, a great inspiration from, from our late friend, Paul O'Byrne. Yeah. Um, but Ed, you know, another thinker who, who, who has influenced me on this whole knowledge worker, Drucker obviously wrote a lot about it, especially in the latter part of his life. But so did Stephen Covey. And uh, his, his book, The Eighth Habit, which was a follow-up to his seven highly habit, you know, seven effective or whatever. What is it? Seven, seven habits, habits of highly, of highly effective, effective people. people. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> the Eighth Habit is mostly all about knowledge work. And here, here's his take on knowledge workers. He said, it's the leadership beliefs and style of the manager, not the nature of the job or economic era that defines whether a person is a knowledge worker or not. Now, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I kind of go back to Drucker's idea that the, the, the most important aspect of a knowledge worker is you own the means of production mm-hmm. in your head. And that's right. certainly true of, you know, doctors and lawyers and accountants. And and that's one of the definitions. Now, there's other characteristics of a knowledge worker. They own the means of production. Like you said before, they're, they're investing their intellectual capital into your organization. So they're looking for a good economic return. They're also looking for a good psychological return. Correct. Being tre- treated well and all that. Their work is more defined by quality than quantity. It's more defined by results rather than costs or inputs and all of that. And, and there's probably a few more things we could say, but, but, but those are the big. They're big, volunteers. They're volunteers. That's what, yes, they're volunteers. But Dan Morris, our colleague, our Verisage colleague, he thinks that there's a lot less knowledge workers in professional, especially professional organizations than we think there are because he says, look, Leaders of knowledge workers don't impose billable hour quotas. They, they know that their knowledge workers are paid for, for outcomes and transformations, not, not tasks or deliverables. They allow their knowledge workers at least 15% of time to, to work on whatever they want. 
um, that, you know, they trust their knowledge workers. They recognize that their workers have value, not the jobs that they do. And they recognize that knowledge workers need autonomy and they need to be innovative and they need to continuously learn, like you were saying before we went to the break, and also that they need to be teachers and, mm-hmm. and capture knowledge, whether it's through after-action reviews or other types of knowledge management systems. And he says, by that standard, if you look at most people, say, in a law firm or an accounting firm, they're not knowledge workers. They're more like factory workers. And I think it's a pretty powerful argument. I'm not sure I agree with all of it, but <laughs> he's got a good point. Well, let me let me weave together the two things, Ron, and say that that going back to Covey's quote, it's because the leadership in many professional organizations uh, and those that especially call themselves professional service organizations do treat them like factory, factory workers. So in that sense, he's right. I mean, uh, uh, Covey is right, right? Yep. In, now, if you're one of these workers in one of these firms who is not really trusted, is – given a billable hour quota is, you know, to not given time to, to, to do your own thing, to learn. Uh, if you've got to fight for every CPE hour and are only allowed to take 80 CPE hours in the required time, because if God forbid you actually learn new stuff above and beyond that, well, here's my career advice. Get the hell out Yes, of where you are. <laughs> I mean, yep. and, and, and Ed, I think that happens. I, I you know, I, it's one of the laws, right? Stars don't work for idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. But yep. yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting point um, by Dan. The other way I, lo- I love to illustrate this uh, about knowledge workers, you know, they say in a, in a pure knowledge organization, the, the uh, knowledge worker should be able to earn 10 times what the CEO earns. You know, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility in a in a pure mm-hmm. knowledge organization that's that's looking at results. But put that issue aside, there when when Disney uh, purchased Pixar, you know, that Steve Jobs owned and they did it for seven point four billion dollars part right. stock, I think this was back in two thousand and six. Um, what what one analyst said was, you know, Disney or Pixar has its own culture, right? They make movies pretty slow. They do it mm-hmm. differently than the typical production studio. They're, we would say they're not very efficient, but they're highly effective, obviously. Right. Um, this, this analyst said, if Disney goes in there and tampers with this culture and they lose three people, then Disney just bought the most expensive computers on the planet. <laughs> and, and, my, and, and of course, you know, the three people, Lassiter, Catmull, I forget the other guy kind right. of the original founders. But my point is, do you think in the knowledge era, those three people know who they are? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I, sinc- I, I sincerely hope so. Uh, I, I guess it's possible that they don't, but, but, um, and that there's all kinds of issues, self-esteem issues with that, but that's another show. Um, yeah, I think they do. You know, m- most of them do. Most of them do. Yeah. And, and, and look, I don't know what they made as part of that purchase, but I'm sure they're, they're sitting pretty from it. But, you know, the, the idea that um, jobs have value rather than the worker, the knowledge workers, that's, you know, that's complete industrial thinking, right? That you're just a cog in the wheel and we're going to fit you in wherever to do this series of tasks. That's not what a knowledge worker is doing. Right. No. 
No, and we, we would hope that, that there's plenty of knowledge workers out there who aren't in firms that have become a little bit more enlightened over time, um, especially with the work that, that you've been doing for years in this area. But, um, no, we'll, we'll see. Well, you know, I want to, if we can, and in the next five minutes or so, Ron, uh, before our next break, kind of relate this back to Karl Marx, because I think there's, there's an important insight. And, and you know, our, our uh, first ever guest on the Soul of Enterprise, Deirdre McCloskey, has a great quote about Karl Marx. And she says she, she uses this quote specifically to tick off everyone. That's right. like her, her intent. Right. And yeah. right is just intentionally, <laughs> she says Karl Marx was the greatest social scientist of the 19th century, and of course that's what picks you know ticks off the people yeah, on the right, sure. all right. And then this, the second half of the quote is, and he was wrong about everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, so true. which yeah, and but but let's let let's parse out a little bit about what she means by that because I think there there is. A lot to be learned. Now, I let me just go on record. I am not a scholar of Marx. I have not read cover to cover Das Kapital or the Communist Manifesto. Don't worry, I, Ed. Very few people uh, have. Uh, uh, even Marxist, I know. Well. <laughs> <laughs> right, but but I but I have like you know in, intellectually studied what they said. I've read a lot about them. I've read about their lives, but. Here, here's here's my point. You know, Marx Marx t- talked about a violent upheaval of the proletariat taking down the the the, the bourgeois, the ruling class, or the right. And but and it, it, he was insistent that it had to, had to be violent. Yep. Right. And that th- this was the only way for the you know the workers of the world to unite and to then own the means of production. Right. Right. And that therefore we would institute the socialist state, and that the the workers would own the factory, and you know, and every there would be no worker exploitation, etc. Right. Well, yeah. the the it, the bizarre part about this is is that in the end, Marx has been right about what happened, and and that is that many of the workers of the world have now ownership of. The means of production. Now, this has happened in two ways, and I think it's pretty interesting. One, in the way that we've been just talking about, which is that knowledge workers own their own means of production, yep. right? And and therefore, this, this, since they own the means of production, by definition, right? Because the yep. means of production is their brain. But it's also happened in the financial world in in, a, in this sense. I mean, there, how many the, the United Auto Workers Union, right, ha, their pension benefits is invested where? Yep, absolutely. Oftentimes in GM and Ford and all of these other auto companies' stock. Yep. Right? So in this way, if you think about it, what's happened is the workers of the world do own the means of production because it's their pensions that are often funding these org- these companies, these organizations, Right, so they, they it, it turns out that Marx was right. They would rise up, but they it, first of all it was it was nonviolent. And how significant is that? Right, that it, it turned out not to necessarily require violence. Yeah. But but he did foresee that it would happen, which I got to give him credit for. Absolutely, and Ed, not just not just workers like in auto unions, but government unions mm-hmm. as well invest in equities. I mean, over one half now, I think it's up close to 60% of the U.S. is invested in the, in the stock market. They own equities. And, mm-hmm. you know, Drucker wrote about this in his book, The Post-Capitalist Society. And this was his very point that, 
you know, the workers now are the owners. And, and by the way, it's something that Thomas Piketty's book completely leaves out of his framework of inequality and measuring inequality. He does mm-hmm. not take into account human capital. Well, no, because is, it can't, can't it, it doesn't factor at all. It's not, again, it's not something that can be measured in his, one of his fancy schmancy equations. Absolutely. You can't get IRS statistics on it. And, and of course, uh, in the review that Deirdre McClowski wrote of his book, she just tears him down for that almost, you know, that one gaping hole uh, challenges basically his whole framework, I think. But um, be that as it may, you're right. I mean, the, you know, the great thing about Marx was he predicted he, he was right, but for the wrong reasons. Um, the workers own the means of production. You know, it's like, hey, knowledge workers of the of the world unite. <laughs> yeah, or you own the means of production or, or, already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we are up against our last break, but when we come back, Ron, I want to ask you about Cesar Hidalgo and some of the okay. work that he 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 has done in this area. And he has a great example that we're going to share with you of understanding this notion of how knowledge equals value and knowledge equals wealth. But we want to remind you right now that you can listen to or listen to previous shows at thesoulofenterprise.com. Also, thesoulofenterprise.com slash iTunes will take you directly to our iTunes page page where you can download and listen to all of our previous shows, but also please uh, consider reviewing the show, uh, rating and reviewing the show. Those are the currency for us. Uh, and also we do have a book out, thesoulofenterprise.com, which uh, slash book will get you to that page. Uh, buy the book. It's five, $5. Let us what you th- let you know about that. And please write a review on Amazon. Uh, right now we want to hear from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, folks, before we get back to DOS Intellectual Capital, Ed, you've got some exciting news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, actually, it is pretty exciting. I have been named the interim vice president of accountant solutions for Sage, which I'm very proud. The Interim, by the way, I just want to. It was 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 my doing. I insisted on it. Uh, I don't know if he, I, if I would even have been offered the the position. That's fine. It doesn't matter to me. I I love the job that I do for Sage and want to continue to doing that. And being a vice president would not would not really be, I think, the best use of my talents. And I explain that. But uh, because Ray Barlow uh, parted from from Sage, and I wish Ray the best of luck. He's been a fantastic person for me to get to get to know over the past two years, and just his uh, his commitment and sponsorship of the this show, for example, being a, a great example of of that and his understanding sure. of that. So I th- thank him for that. But it is also absolutely the right thing to do from uh, the standpoint of the partners that we work with. And, and by partners, I mean not only the, the accountants and bookkeepers that we serve, but also those their customers, so our mutual customers, as well as the constituencies inside the accounting profession where you know Ray, Ray had so many great contacts and, and introduced me. And, and uh, so and, and I continue to maintain those relationships as well. So uh, m- for many people who've been guests on the show, Gary. Boomer, for example, uh, and others. So we're 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 really we're really blessed at Sage to to, to be able to to continue to to be able to do this kind of work. So excellent. Um, and then and then you have an announcement too. Sort of. We haven't really talked too much about it. But what are we going to be doing in in uh, November, Ron? Yeah, on in uh, November, uh, what is it? Eleven and twelve. We're going to be in your neck of the woods, Allen, Texas, for a Verisage get together, and we have made this available to some guests. So. Uh, folks, if you're interested in that, please let us know. If you're not on our Ferris Agent Friends Facebook page, uh, friend me or Ed, and we'll get you on that page. Or just send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. And this is where you get a chance to interact with Verisage fellows and talk about interesting topics. And also, Ed, there's a, our colleague Kirk Bowman is doing an event prior to our get-together, right? And that's on the 8th and 9th. That is correct, and I will be part of that as well. I'm going to be talking about product uh, project management and consulting theory and practice as well. And Kirk is going to talk about pricing, so pricing. that'll be that'll be fun. And there'll be guests at that event. Hint, hint, wink, wink, Ron. Yes, <laughs> and of course that Kirk Bowman's he's he does the Art of Value podcast, which we highly recommend. Uh, so check that out, folks. But um, Ed, let's talk about this book. And I read this a couple years ago. Why information grows: the evolution of order. From Atoms to Economies by a guy named Cesar Hildago. Um, I love this book. I think he's a physicist or he's some type of scientist. I want to say physicist. And he says, you know, economists tend to describe the economy in terms of factors of production, land, labor, capital, right? That type of human capital. He says, but you can also use natural scientists the way that they uh, explain the universe, which is energy, matter, and information. He okay. said these two views are not incompatible. So for him, he says information, and he's using it in the same context as uh, the information theorist Claude Shannon, who Gilder draws heavily on, and there's mm-hmm. a couple of others in there. Information is knowledge. Yep. Uh, and it's also surprise, right? Um, that, that's the other thing. Creativity always takes us by surprise. But he says information is physical in that it's always physically embodied. It's not a thing 
it's an arrangement of physical things. Yes, and he gives a great example of that. And by the way, yes, he's a, he's a Chilean, and he's, his, his title is Statistical Physicist. Yes, okay, Statistical right. Statistical right. physicist. Yep. And he's 37 years old, and we'll, we'll post a picture of him on uh, the website. <laughs> Think like biker dude. Yes, yes. Not and, physicist, right? Yes. <laughs> your, your perceptions of Cesar Hidalgo when we talked about intellectual physicists, they're completely wrong. They're completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> and he also did a great uh, show interview with Russ Roberts on Econ Talk, and we'll post that link as well. But what's his analogy, Ed, with the car crashing into the wall? Because I love this. He does. He says, okay, so just like what, if you had a, the, a high-performance sports car, I don't, Maserati, is that right. I don't. I'm he not talks a car about guy. the most expensive car in the world, the Bugatti or whatever. But yeah, whatever I, it is. Yeah. Yep. So you have the, the most expensive car, the, the, and that that is a collection of of atoms, right? It's a collection of it's, it's a collection of physical matter compacted in one place. You know, you count the atoms. Well, if <clears throat> you take this car. And the, the driver successfully gets out. Let's not kill a human being. That's a different show, the trolleyology. But it, it, if the, the, the driver gets out and the car somehow go, falls off a cliff or, or goes into a brick wall, well, there's a lot of energy that gets uh, dissipated there, but none of the matter changes. There's, In other words, there's not a nuclear reaction, right? We don't see a nuclear explosion and matter being created and destroyed before us, right? So it's it actually, it just, it, it, it remains the same from a physical matter standpoint. However, what's lost is the, the wealth, right? The knowledge, because it was the knowledge of how those atoms and molecules and fit together that, that created the wealth. But once, once they, were, they were not in the same uh, alignment, if they're not in the same pattern, well, then it's, it becomes completely worthless. So if you think about it, it's the knowledge of how to put all of those things together that make it, that give it its, its value creation, not exactly. the stuff itself, because the stuff itself doesn't change when it crashes into the wall. The, right. There is no physical matter that's changed. Yep. And then he does this. He says, eating apples and the Apple computers that we're using, right? He says, apples, eat, the eating kind, existed first in the world and then they existed in our heads. Oh, this is an apple. You can eat it. But Apple computers existed first in someone's head, then in the world. And he says, both embody information. But Ed, and I love this term, but Apple is crystals of imagination. And that's where he thinks uh, information springs from. And he talks about this in terms of the idea of a, of a person. And he, and, he, and he makes a distinction between knowledge and know-how. But he talks mm-hmm. about the amount of knowledge and know-how any one person is capable of accumulating. He calls it a person bite. And when you aggregate people into an organization like a business, he calls mm-hmm. that a firm bite. The capacity of their knowledge and know-how. And he says that's one of the difficult things that makes it hard to transplant knowledge into other economies. He says economies don't have the equivalent of seeds, right? We, we can mm-hmm. transplant plants and trees maybe in other places, but it's hard to transplant that know-how and that knowledge into other economies. Uh, and, and I just love it. He, some of the analogies in this book are just beautiful. He talks about birth as, in essence, being time travel. He says, because if you think about it, 
from the anxious he's talking about the birth of his daughter the anxiousness uh the anxiousness of his mother's womb right hundred thousand years ago the children experienced the same environment the womb mm-hmm. but now they're being born into the modern 21st century he called that time travel and i just thought that was so provocative and mm-hmm. it's such a great such a great uh analogy but i i love this book because it it comports with exactly what gilder's saying but from a scientific standpoint so he's got a he's got a different take on everything not the typical economist's take which i just loved i uh we'll link to this book in the in the show notes and i just i just highly recommend it yeah, well, Ron, I'm so glad that we got a chance to explore this topic, and and uh, th- it is so fascinating this notion of intellectual capital and what it means for us. And look, I think we're just as starting to scratch the surface. I don't think our mind is fully around uh, what the what we're we're fully capable of here. And as uh, one of our favorite economists, uh, Friedrich von Hayek, said, the curious task of economics is to demonstrate to men how little they really know about what they imagine. They can design. So, Absolutely. what do we got coming up next week, Ron? Next week, Ed, we're going to do more Verisage laws, Ed. So, I'm looking forward to that. And just like Hayek said, the mind can't see its own advance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then. This has been The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.